he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hello and welcome to Bellotified, the one and only podcast dedicated to the exploitation of the sometimes dazzling, sometimes tragic world of event entertainment. We know it. We've been there. I'm here once again with Alex, my cohort in crime. Say hi, Alex. (laughs) Hello. How are you doing today in the midst of this uh, C-19 that we're still in? Oh, crazy and guiltily sitting in air conditioning with all the rolling blackouts and and whatnot. So um, plugging away week after week, day after day. Yeah, I can see how the air conditioning is really blowing those palms around. Well, you know, girl's got to do what the girl's got to do. It's got to feel good. She She needs her Paloma Hermosa. Yes, my Paloma Hermosa. You know, we have a, I think we have a guest today. I think that's where we're going today, but you never tell me these things. So I'm going to start off with uh, something that I'd like to just uh, just uh, share with people because people are asking us, now, how do we find entertainment for virtual events? What are the things that we're looking for? Uh, and some of the things are a little different and some of them are the same as they were when we were doing live events. Uh, so for the sake of just sort of giving it some context, I've decided to come up with the, what the focus, the WTF of (laughs) event entertainment booking for virtual, what the focus. Okay. So here are my, the Bellata, what the focus is of event entertainment that is virtual. The first one, you like it? I love it. Actually. I love it. Thank you. You, you, I love you being around me just to tell me that you love things like that. <laughs> so, of course, um, number one is objective or purpose. You know, when you, whenever you throw an event, whenever anybody throws an event, it's with an, an objective or purpose in mind. It's never just to throw money at the wind. So you have to know and key into what that objective or purpose is and how the entertainment can help achieve it. In the live world, the entertainment is crucial to the goal and objective because it's either going to help you achieve the goal or it's going to wreak havoc all over it if it's not the right thing. Unlike a centerpiece or a meal, which if not so great, won't kill the entire vibe of the event. So you have to be really careful. So objective is number one. You're always thinking about what it is I want to achieve and what kind of entertainment out there could help me to achieve it. And then demographics would be the second pillar, I would say, because you have to know who your audience is. That's key to any kind of interaction you're doing, any kind of show. Uh, And then within that, you want to get a little granular, like, okay, so who is my demographic, right? And out of that demographic, is there a particular sect of people that I want to uh, treat differently or entertain a little bit differently? And, And what about those people can I key into? that will help to uh, invigorate them and make them feel good. So that's one thing. And then um, you also want to think about not just the ages of people, but what their, what their tolerances are and what their cultures are, because you want to feed into that as much as possible. And in this virtual world, 
we have to meet people where they are more and more. That's how we get them engaged. So we really want to know as much as possible about them as we can so we can get really granular and key and specifically into the demographic. Again, know the audience. Number three, you need to know your resources. This is, this is huge too. Uh, you know, what's around you, what's available. We're blessed. I think we were developing some resources for virtual that um, it's not easy to do. Not everybody crosses over as we like to say in the office yep. uh, because we're wondering how is it they engage or interact? with an audience because again, it's so important. We're told that people have between seven and 10 minutes worth of uh, uh, willing participation before they clue out of whatever it is you're showing them on screen or in this environment, this virtual environment. So we have to be really, really, really careful about who it is we bring to the platform and how it is they're going to engage people and interact with people. And most importantly, make people feel. That's part yes. of it. You know, can they, can they make people feel good after the engagement? Is it a little bit of a high? All of that really, really matters. Uh, and that ability to play an audience, that ability to cross over, doesn't come with every artist that walks into the room, right? It's a very right. special, right? Uh, very special, special skill set. Uh, and so it's key to, to lock into that if you can. I'm going to talk and say one more thing, and that's logistics. In a virtual event, it's as important as it is in a live event, but it's a little bit different. Uh, in the virtual event, you want your artist to be what we call self-contained. You want your artist to be able to come across the screen without having to give them a lot of visual aids or audio aids. You want them to be able to handle that on their own. Uh, for a very specific reason, cost, number one, and number two, the agility of the performance, right? You want somebody who's got it, is ready to go, and has toyed enough with this new virtual world that we're in and all of the buttons and knobs and makes sure that that person is coming across as best as he or she can. It's really key. And some of the artists we know, because we're out there asking, are doing right. it. And some are not. Uh, and some things cross over better than other things. So, um, but this is just sort of, we'll, we'll dig deeper, we'll dive deeper later. This is just sort of the four nuggets that you really have to think about when you want to book virtual entertainment. Once again, objective demographics, your resources, what you have available to you, and your logistics. Those are the four things. We're always, always happy to answer questions about those four things in more detail. And you can always find us at bolada.com and you can find this podcast where you find your own podcast. Well, things you said that I've really been finding and, um, you know, about knowing, knowing your audience and, and being sensitive to who they are. Our reach has now, it's tenfold. You know, the, the audience we can reach now on a broader basis for every event can reach out internationally. So it's really, really important that we know who we're dealing with, that we're sensitive to cultures and, and the demographics and, and everything about that. And it's on such a, a much broader spectrum. Yes, so that's a really key point. And to that point, in the conference setting, which might be a little bit broader than the event setting, it's key and it's okay to communicate or to uh, touch on those 
individual audiences that make up the larger audiences. In other words, it's okay to segment them a bit and to yeah. offer something that might appeal to this a certain group of people and then offer something later that'll appeal to a different group of people within the conference audience. Not everything you do in this format has to appeal to everyone. I you think do that's, balance. I think that's great because then you, you have a way of bringing a group of people in making them feel, we all want to feel special. And especially now that we can't be out amongst many people, being able to target and then as you like to say, pivot and then target, right? It's, it's so key into drawing those people and making them feel part of your, what feels like a small world, but is so big. Exactly, exactly. Good point. Any more? The other funny thing is, is, you know, I have this theater background, right? As do you. And I'm finding that the world of theater is ever, is even more important now virtually than it was when it's live. Uh, you know, you said something about taking those little granular pieces, right? The, the, the little things and focusing in on them uh, uh, in addition to the broader picture. So I, when you said that, it made me think of, well, when you watch a musical theater piece and you see the choreography, that's what I liken it to. A choreographer doesn't just put movement in for movement's sake. Every little hand flick, every little movement, it's got to further the story, which is what this is so important. You take the broad perspective, you take those little granular pieces, and you help further the story of the event and the theme. And that just kind of hit me. That was beautifully put. That's exactly right. That's the Thank whole you. purpose behind it. Yeah. And we've never been the kind of agency that has just wanted to sell for the sake of selling. You know, there has no. to be a purpose so that people walk away feeling, again, something more than they did coming in. So yeah, thank you, a disciple. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and I'm sorry, one more thing, bringing this in, when you were talking about you know grabbing people in the voiceover world, as I was learning, we would learn this thing called the Wernicke method. And that is, it's all about changing changing tone, changing pitch, all these different things you do to keep people engaged, which is what we need to do, these smaller segments and these bites of fun entertainment, because the brain, when it gets too much of one thing, will shut down. It shuts down in an attempt to protect itself. It's like, that's not really useful. I have all this other stuff coming in. So I'm finding that virtually when we're staring at the screen, that's super important to keep people engaged, that constant that changing and that uh, re-engaging and that high energy, but always, always changing along the way. And that's called the Werner effect? Wernicke, Wernicke. The Wernicke I'm effect. Correctly we, from my We need to take yeah. a note of that, D'Angelo, the Wernicke effect, so that we can have uh, Alex uh, demonstrate on one of our upcoming shows. Oh, that would okay. be, and, and by the way, have you done any pivoting this week? This week, have I done any pivoting? Um, yes, actually, on a personal basis, I've, I've had to pivot a lot. So, um, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into all that, but... Uh, you share you what know. you share? <laughs> Up to you. And I think for the most part, it's true that in this time that we're in, with people being hit by COVID-19 and job cuts and job losses and changes then and the structure of your job that we would all just naturally in my Pollyanna view of the world come together 
and help each other out. And while I do think that that very much is still true, I am finding that there are still those people out there that will take advantage of the situation. And so I've actually had to pivot with that and go, okay, I've been given this piece of information. Now I have to decide what I'm going to do with it and how I'm going to handle it. So I, I went from very quickly being very angry to then going, okay, but that's not me. I don't have to choose that way. I can choose to still see the good in people. I can still choose my little Pollyanna view, hard on my sleeve. Really, it was a full pivot in less than 24 hours. So that's an emotional pivot, but we're all facing that. Our clients are facing that. Our artists are facing that. We in the office are facing that kind of on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not really been an easy time, unfortunately, and uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better any more quickly. But I am seeing that people are pivoting and finding uh, more and more opportunities online and determining that they're going to move online because it's, uh, it's what we have available today and it's not such a bad solution. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to share today is I, I do a little bit of script writing, as you know, and I've just written a script for the Top Tech Awards of San Diego. It's the fourth or fifth year I've provided a script for them. And this year, it's virtual. And it was a delight to write the script for a virtual show about technology because it was a, an easy write. It was an easy fit. These are people who helped to develop not necessarily the people in our audience, but the industry helped to develop the tools that we're using today that had this pandemic happened 20 years ago, we would not be in the same place. It would be far different. So we're, we're blessed in a way that this happened when it did and the technology is there that we can still communicate and do the pivoting that we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's our guest? I know there's somebody waiting to come there, in. I know there is. There is, there is. You know, it's not a secret in our office that our guest, I don't just look at him as a colleague. I truly look at him as a friend. He is just a kind-hearted gent. And you want to talk about pivoting. This man has pivoted. I, incredible in his life. I mean, he has a Bachelor of Science degree from Cal Poly in Structural Engineering, right? He uses that to manufacture his own events and illusions, right? So there's a pivot from that, pivot into what he does now. We have called upon him in the past to help us out on an event he wasn't even a part of. But he stepped up and kind of, I want to say, saved my butt a little bit because I would not have been able to handle this segment if it weren't for him. You know, he's an incredible entertainer, an incredible illusionist, mentalist, magician. And as he likes to say, he is not in the business of doing magic, but rather in making memories. So... Super excited to welcome Mr. Derek Ostavani to the show. Hi, Derek. Hello, Derek. Thank you, Anthony and Alex. It's a pleasure to hear your voices. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on, really. It really is. And everything that Alex said about you is true. I knew who it was uh, sort of halfway through, I must admit. There was one clue that uh, couldn't get by me, and that was... He worked with us on a show, but he wasn't in the show. He wasn't part of it. 
And that was when you helped us to provide an illusion for an attorney as part of a talent show for a, an, a partner event. We won't mention the law firm, but uh, it was a really well-run event and you helped this gent with an illusion that you built for him. Yeah, yeah, it was a couple, uh, we did two, two illusions, if I yes, remember correctly. Yes, we did. Um, yeah, and so uh, it, was, it was my pleasure, you know, I, I was out there in Arizona and I was working as a social engineer and, uh, you know, I had a relationship with you guys when I was here in San Diego, but Alex reached out to me and so, you know, it was my pleasure uh, to be a part of it, to help out what I what I could, and and it was a lot of fun for me, and I learned from it just like everyone else on the project did. I think. What What did you learn from that? You know, it's a good question. You know, um, these are two illusions that uh, I put together for the gentleman um, uh, that that was performing. You know, mm -hmm. I had no prior knowledge of him. I've never met him before. Uh, I didn't even know what this event was about or what and why he was trying to showcase anything and you know i could learn about him a little bit and uh kind of a reserved gentleman and, you know uh, uh, from a law firm and for whatever reason this year that company instead of hiring entertainment they decided that their whole um company is gonna put on their own uh skills and and uh entertain the company for the, that company event so it was great you know so getting to know him a little bit and know because I know he did do a little bit of magic, but I, you know, obviously he wasn't full time. He wasn't a professional. Mm -hmm. So getting to know who he is, what his skill level is, and what would uh, he be able to best present and come across to all of his colleagues. And he was really happy with the end oh. result. He really, and you worked with him for a, it was more than one rehearsal i remember it was a couple of rehearsals as i recall you kept coming back to the hotel to work with him and to ensure that he felt really comfortable because in the at the end of the day while this was a trick that you came up with you were basically molding it onto this gentleman and it was to be his this wasn't a situation where where this gentleman became derek's assistant derek wasn't even on stage he shared yeah. the illusion with him and gave basically gave it to him to use for the show. And it was really remarkable because, you know, there are people who do and there are people who teach and there are people who can do both. And you did both in that occasion. You knew what it was you're doing. You were able to mold it on him in such a way that made him comfortable in, in an environment that wasn't necessarily his comfort zone. So kudos to you. That's not an easy talent. Well, thank you guys. No, I, I did my best. And, you know, even though I was a structural engineer at the time, magic uh, was and is and always will be my passion. And so when Alex came at me with it, it was, you know, uh, a mission to be accomplished. And I was happy to do it and happy to see it through. And I don't I think at the end, you know, during the performance, I don't think I was I needed to be there, but I, I wanted to be there. You know, it's like. It's like watching your birds fly away from the nest. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and you had a show that night, didn't you, Derek? Didn't you come? Because God bless. I mean, you you were on phone calls <laughs> with us prior. You you got the actual tricks. You got the, the, the materials. You worked with him. And then I believe you had a show that day, left your show and came to the hotel in time to see him perform and then returned all the the uh, materials that needed to be returned. 
You know what, Alex? I almost completely forgot about that, but you're 100% correct. Yeah. Um, I believe, yes, I, I, I either, you know, came to the event and then left, did the show and came back, or I just, you know, came straight from the show to, to your guys' Something event. Something like that. But either way, you know, I, it was a quick turnaround and I was happy to make it happen. And you didn't get home so easily, as I recall, that night either. <laughs> oh. that, that is correct. I was so excited to get out of my car and come to the event that I, you know, said, I'm just going to leave my keys because that's going to take more time. So we'll just close the door. It'll be safe in there. We'll worry about it later. So said the structural engineer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So what what is it about magic that that makes it so uh, compelling for you? What is it, and when did this start? That's a great question. For magic, for me, I'll tell you. All right, you want the short answer, or do you want more intense? No, we're not here for two hours. But uh, yeah. no, be, be, yeah. give us the real answer. So you know, uh, uh, unlike a lot of. Uh, magicians that tell you that they started at you know age six or age eight or whatever i didn't start till age 21 however at age six at age eight i loved magic i just thought it was the greatest thing in the world and i think for me what was compelling about it is what i would think is is you know compelling to anybody to just right in front of your eyes see these things that are just impossible and to see somebody else do these things that as adult or human beings, we know should not be possible. It's just incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like having a superpower, you know, which I think is why magic brings adults back to their childhood, right? Because as a child, everything was magic. You saw, you saw cartoons with ridiculous characters and people with ridiculous abilities, but as a child, you didn't, you didn't think that this was just something you're viewing on a screen. I mean, you did, but you thought it was real, you know? And so everything was magic to children. And I love that. And when I, as an adult, perform for another adult, and I could just see that over their face, it, it really reminds me why I do what I do. I can see that. I'm, I'm, I'm now imagining some of the clients that we've had and some of the faces I've seen enjoy your comedy and the surprise and delight is that expression is, is pretty unanimous. You know, everybody gets it. And I, yeah. is it a willingness? Do you think, do you think people, adults really want to still believe and they want to uh, surrender to the possibilities? And so th that's why you have them as an audience, why they're so willing to, give you their attention? Definitely, definitely not everybody. Um, you have, you have a mixed crowd. You have, you have that crowd who, like you said, absolutely wants to believe. And if somebody else comes in and is trying to, you know, ruin it or whatever, they'll do my job for me. And they'll be like, no, 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 leave it alone. I want, I want to see this. I, and they want to fully envelop their minds in that moment. And they want to believe. And those people are great, and I love those people. And then, and then you have those people who are also very uh, intrigued by it because they view it as a puzzle, right? So they still want to see, okay, what's, what's this guy going to present? What kind of puzzle? Let's see if I can figure out the solution. Right. And then you have the other people who, of course, you know, don't want to believe, and 
I don't know. And again, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to ever approach somebody and tell them, Hey, what I'm doing is, uh, you know, uh, of, of extraterrestrial abilities and I have powers, but I just kind of ask them, uh, in a, in a very indirect way, can I have your attention for just a moment? So they themselves can kind of take that moment and put it in a, in a time of disbelief. You're giving and them I think permission. those are the people. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm allowing it for this. You know, I'm, I'm not saying what I'm doing, like I said, is, is anything crazy, but I am giving the illusion that what's happening is happening. Right. And if you have no answers for that illusion, then what I'm, what you're seeing is what I'm doing. There's a, there's a, a, a quote, a very famous quote in a, uh, a very famous magic book. And it says, what the eye sees, the heart must believe. And it makes hundred percent sense. Right. And you know, as long as I'm a good magician and I'm, um, uh, you know, comparable on my, on my sleight of hand, competent on my sleight of hand or whatever else I'm doing, then there's no reason they would see anything else and that they would believe what I'm doing and saying is exactly that. It sounds a bit like, and I mean this in the best possible way, a bit of an, an attitude that you have to take on as a magician. One of the questions I was going to ask you is how do you deal with the non-believers and the scoffers who just don't even look your way when you approach them at an event? Uh, you're a very gracious guy. And so I wondered about that. Um, but it sounds to me like you, you've just given me the answer. You, you know, you allow them the moment of disbelief and you meet them at their level, it sounds like. It is true. And I, I, will, I will add to this because early in my magical career, I made a big mistake. If I approached somebody or a group of people and there was one person out of that group that was heckling or naysaying or, or didn't want to see it, my, my gut instinct was like, no, this is amazing. Let me show you. Watch, watch, watch. And I would almost pay more attention to them than the people who actually really wanted to see it. Right. And I quickly realized that I'm never going to win them over. And I'm wasting not only my time, but I'm, I'm redirecting the energy, uh, basically just redirecting my energy. And instead of directing the energy towards that person, right. I should direct it to the people who do want to see. And if the other person wants to unlock, by all means, they, they totally can. But it's the people who you know, are already engaged who are going to have the best time. I mean, it's the true definition of wasting time, if you will, because you're misspending it on somebody else when there's somebody behind you just, you know, waiting for you to turn around. Sure. So, and and, yeah, I, yeah. and by sure. no means do I mean that in, in, a, in a negative way, like, oh, I'm wasting my time in this person. It's, it's not that all. It's, it kind of goes along with the saying of, you know, you can't change somebody. Only that person can change themselves. Yes, and you know what? I, I'm I'm not at all offended by that. As somebody who provides entertainment um, and has seen magicians, I'm not offended at all because, again, not everything is for everyone. And in the larger events, when you have somebody like Derek who is doing sleight of hand, in particular, the idea is to is to entertain small groups and to provide something that's moving around and delightful and surprising. And that's not for everyone. And you know what? It's not meant for everyone, as I said, because those who are engaged by it and will love it, 
will, will get the effect. They'll, they'll feel great when it's over. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that there are people that didn't love it. And, In you know, I'll, I'll say, yeah, no, 100% right, Anthony. You know, and I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of times if I approach that group who, you know, doesn't really care about it, you know, I, I'm very gracious and I walk away and I'm approaching another group and, and they are laughing and yelling and cheering. And before I know it, that other group who wasn't so interested, all of a sudden is interested. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that also speaks to your steady hand and your steady demeanor. Because yes, could be years and years and years. And because I know you're like 80, again, you're a magician, so you don't look it. The <laughs> years of practice there. Right. But, um, but the steady attitude and the steady demeanor is really, really important as a performer. How much have you learned emotionally being a magician? Yeah, I, I, would, I would say a lot, you know, because as, as a magician, you know, it's a type of profession that you're really putting yourself out there. You know, you're approaching people who didn't ask to be approached by a stranger. You don't know if they're having an important conversation. Maybe they just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, and, and you as, as, a, as a, not only a performer, but as a professional, that goes with, with all, all professions and all industries, uh, you have to know how to read a scenario and a situation. And if somebody is snarky at you and maybe having a bad day, at the end of the day, you, you have to walk away and, and, and be nice and be professional about it, you know? And so you have to realize that because you love it, not everybody else does. And that's okay. Was that a hard lesson for you? It, it was uh, initially, you know, because especially at the beginning, you know, you're so excited and you want to show everybody in every moment. And, um, and it's not always the right time. You know, and the same thing could be said when you uh, are turned by, turned down by maybe companies or events or, you know, just like anything, I'm, I'm, I'm a commodity and, and there's other magicians out there and somebody's going to win the event. Somebody's going to get the gig, you know, and you have to always realize that it's not, it's not you, you know, that's a numbers game and you got to move forward and keep your chin high and just know that you know, all those other people you've entertained and they love you. And that's, that's what keeps you going. You know, it's like I come off of a bad show and I'm really down on myself. And then I, I turn around and I do the same show and I have a great show. And then I feel like I'm the best yeah. magician in the world. <laughs> you and know, sometimes the bad show is really just how the audience responds or doesn't respond. It has nothing to do with you at all. Right. It's just the response. Yeah, it's, it's true when they say you're as good as your audience. That is 100% mm -hmm. true. And what people, I don't think the average audience member understands, and I think that, that you definitely do, Alex, and absolutely you yeah. do, uh, Derek, is that the, the energy is two-way. It feeds back and forth. And the more they give you, the more you give them. It's just, it's, it happens without even a thought. It just permeates you know and the better the audience the almost the better the the show if you will because the energy oh, right so, 100 you know sorry go no, ahead. no no no. go ahead finish up i was just gonna i was just gonna say in a uh, uh, more experienced magician told me uh fairly early in my career that the bigger the audience the easier the, the gig is you know and and you think and, and this is nothing about strolling it's it's more more on stage you know right. um I'd much rather perform for 
you know, 500 people versus 50 people. Because of the energy. Because the energy's up, you know, and, yeah. and more people are, are laughing. And when, when it's a small group, what tends to happen is uh, if you think something's really funny or you think something is really impossible or astonish, astonishing, you tend to look at your peers to see if everyone else thought the same thing. And you're almost looking for them for confirmation right. if you can react. Right. And that is something that I don't believe people understand. There's a huge difference between the audiences that we entertain in, in our world and those who buy tickets to go to a theater. 100%. Uh, it's the hierarchy in the room. It's the, it's the uh, colleagues in the room that all have a play in how people respond. If people are in a room with their C-suite, their, their senior leadership, they're going to look for cues before yeah. they start overreacting or over-responding to anything on stage. Exactly. And, it's, and like you say, it's for approval. It's for, it's for uh, you know, the approval to do it. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll do some strolling at the beginning so I'm approaching small groups and they're loving it. And then up, I'm on, up, I'm on stage. And now again, they're, they're, they were in just a few, they're, they're tight knit group where they didn't, they really felt comfortable. But now when you're on stage, it, I could literally see them looking for confirmation, you know? And so it's just funny to see that, that huge wow. difference in people. It is funny, isn't it? I wonder if that, I mean, I know that exists just in general in, in our uh, private audiences, but I wonder if um, that exists for other kinds of uh, talent, like for singers or for, you know, just other variety acts. I wonder if it's the same. I, I just wonder if magic has an implication there. Yeah, I, I'm willing to bet it's not quite the same. And the reason is because, well, you know, when you're watching magic, the idea, the idea is to be entertained. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're being entertained. Um, and a lot of how we entertain is to do impossible things. And some people, like I mentioned earlier, see that as a puzzle. And I think, I think that's why people are hesitant to react because they react, what does that mean? They got fooled and they don't want to look bad. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, it makes total sense. They obviously have not been on the show Idiot Test yet, the new show <laughs> that we were watching last night where you go on to I prove. I love that show. <laughs> You've love seen it. Show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you too have pivoted this year. You've done some pivoting, as Alex mentioned. You're doing virtual performances. We've already been treated to a few, and you're doing interaction in those performances. Um, you want to share a little bit about um, how that feels as a magician and how you're uh, you're doing this? Sure. You know, um, when quarantine first started and uh, social gathering wasn't allowed and my events started to get canceled, nothing new was coming in. You know, it, it started to make me nervous. And I mean, th this is this is one hundred percent how I make make a living. And so I thought, I'm, I'm, what can I do? Like, how can I how can I take what I do for a living and turn this around in a time like this where everything I do is better done in person. And I thought, you know, virtually is really my only option. And so I decided to uh, experiment with it and reach out to clients 
and have a go at it. And fortunately, it took really well. And, you know, I think it's so important to make it uh, interactive, as you mentioned a moment ago. And I try and make it as interactive as possible. And, you know, a lot like in person, you can't possibly choose choose everybody. Um, but I, I take a lot of pride in my show. I, I think it's very well-rounded. And, again, I, I try and, and choose and chat with as many spectators as, as I can. And, you know, that really makes the difference from uh, just, you know, going on YouTube and watching something versus hiring me, you know, being in your own living room, casting me onto the screen, and you and I going back and forth, and the magic happened right right between us. Mm -hmm. There is a magic in that, isn't there? Not to uh, overuse the word. And, um, and I think that's the key with you, quite honestly, Derek, is that you have the interaction, you pull people in, mm -hmm. And you're not, uh, I hate to use this expression, but you're not so self-consumed that you forget that they're there. And that's so important that you're really keyed into the people. Uh, that's key because, uh, you know, if the focus is on you during this, they're not going to, they're going to feel that and they're not going to feel a part of it. You really reach out. There are a couple of ways though, I'd like to explain to the audience and correct me if I'm wrong. There are a couple of ways to do this, to do magic in the virtual settings, in the virtual setting, excuse me. The one way that uh, we could do this is through a, a tool such as a Zoom, a meeting tool, where Derek is brought into a meeting that has a certain number of participants, and he becomes the stage feature or uh, uh, the act, if you will. We're also including Derek in our virtual vaudeville series, which uh, would make him available in short clips to uh, do small shows in between sessions, in between breakout sessions, as little interstitials. And Derek also has a live show, I mean, a stage show that he does, that can be streamed. Uh, ideally, though, with Derek, in, if you are in a streaming situation, you want to have a tool uh, in which you could put, and I'm going to use the sort of stage vernacular, put people on stage with Derek so that not everyone is in the virtual audience. So for example, if you were doing a webinar uh, and, you, and Derek was to be the entertainment, you would want to have some of your audience be on stage with him. In other words, be included, if you will, uh, as a panelist on stage, just to sort of give you an idea and give them access to that piece so that when Derek is, uh, would like to interact in the stream, he's got people in there with him to interact with. That stream is then sent to a larger audience. It's a bit difficult to envision, but it's a way to make a magician work for a large audience and give that magician the kind of contact that helps the magician do their job. It also gives some people, maybe your VIPs or very special people, a little bit of onstage interaction, if you will, and those people would be the people that you would say, Derek, hey, we want these people to be the people that you play with. And we are, these are the people that we're gonna work with you and have ask you to build into your That would be, those would be the ways that I would present Derek, a magician such as Derek right. in yeah. this format. Anything that I missed, Derek, or would like to correct or change about what I said? No, that's, that's pretty spot on. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, clients reach out to me and say, hey, the, you know, we're, 
appreciating you know, this client or it's so-and-so's birthday, you know, be, you know, feel free to, to uh, you know, pick on them, not pick on them, but, you know, interact with them, include them, you know, with the magic. Um, and, you know, right now, and, and I think it's, it's working fine, but right now when I, when I interact with somebody and they unmute themselves, everybody else sees me, hears me, and then hears another voice. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm trying to take my whole show to like a, another level. It's like, uh, it's like a 2.0 version. I'm going to make it even more interactive. We're going to add some music. Um, you're going to be able to see me along with the grid of everybody else. And then more importantly, when I am interacting with somebody, everybody will see a split screen. So they will see me. They will see the other person as well. Because me and that person, yeah, go back and forth. And I think that's super important. Very, because then they feel a little bit more clued into what's happening very much. Absolutely. When we booked Derek, we are there also with Derek in the background because uh, it's important to have somebody in the background that's helping to mute people, to make sure that uh, he can see people. And, and we would call that our hosting ability there. Uh, and that's somebody you won't ever see in the interface, but somebody that's there to help it run smoothly. I wanted to make sure that you knew that that's an important part of the puzzle here in producing entertainment virtually, there should always be somebody behind the buttons pushing so that the talent can focus on the talent. And as much as possible, we will do that when we work with Mr. Derek of Stellano. Uh, yep. It's nice, it does make, make it a little bit more seamless, so it's always uh, appreciated. Absolutely. Derek, you were interviewed by Jeff Zevely recently, and uh, you were noted as being the magician who beat COVID with a trick up his sleeve. <laughs> Now, would you like to share that trick with us? Because, you know, we really could use it about now. Are you familiar with the Rubik's Cube, Anthony? Producer D'Angelo here to provide an audio commentary of Derek's magic trick. Derek pulls a Rubik's Cube out of seemingly nowhere. I am familiar. I've seen them. I've, I've, I think I touched one maybe twice. I've touched it. But I've never actually I played it. Solved the Rubik's Cube. You've never solved one. Ah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> At this point of their exchange, Derek has been taking the sides of the Rubik's Cube and he has been twisting and turning the tiles as to ensure no surface is all matching. Red is mixed with blue, yellow. Please just Google a Rubik's Cube if you don't know. No, th th and, that, and that's okay. You know, that, that, that says a lot about you. Um, it says you have oh, a Oh, does it? Yes. That's it. Uh, At this point, Derek keeps twisting and turning the Rubik's Cube, not his body. Anthony, I will have you know I can solve a Rubik's Cube. Of course. Um, I, I give it a couple twists and turns, Anthony. I'm going to give a couple more twists and turns. Uh, and then I'm going to try and solve this for you in record time. Alex and Anthony look wide-eyed at the magician. Okay. But I need com complete concentration. You, you with me? I'm with you. Here we go. He twists it. He turns it. You know, Anthony, this is taking a little bit longer than expected. Uh-oh. Let's just do it this way. He snaps his fingers, blows on the Rubik's Cube, and with a flick of his wrist, it becomes all matchy-matchy and solved. Like, for real, for real. Oh, <laughs> How dare you? That was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was awesome. If you're that just listening, awesome. he blew on the Rubik's Cube, and it... <laughs> Resolved itself. If only life were that way. Do you I know. have other powers? Can you make others fall into place just by doing that? 
I can do whatever I want, but I, I, I only use my powers for good, so you know. Okay. We like that oh. about you. We actually like that about you. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us, Derek, before, uh, before we let you off the hook? As, as Alex mentioned, that I was a structural engineer, and, uh, you know, I, I found magic. I truly found magic the same year that I got accepted to university. And, you know, as a, as a, as a young man, you you do a major and you, you know, major in, in, a de, in, a, in a degree that you don't really truly know what it's about, you know, and um, you go in with a, a certain mindset and I knew I liked engineering and, and I was right, but I, all, I, I didn't know about magic and I love magic. It was truly a passion from day one where I said that, you know, I'm going to continue with my engineering degree and, uh, and do a career in it, but then eventually wean off the engineering and do full-time magic. And, you know, it was, it was tough at, at, a, at a point to, you know, it's one thing to say, it's another thing to actually do it. And it was, it was pretty tough to make that transition. You know, when I did, I, I didn't, I haven't looked back a, a single day and I'm, I'm pretty happy. And then I would say proud of myself. And I just encourage other people, you know, that if they have a passion and they can make a career out of it, that they're, they're lucky. You know, because not a lot of people, A, have a passion, and B, it, it's something, you know, and honestly, and, and, uh, and people even who have a passion can't necessarily make money out of it. So if you can, and you can, you can find a way to do it, I uh, thoroughly encourage All that. right, so what would you say to a young magician who wanted to have a career? What would be the, the seed, the one piece of advice that you would give this person? Um, absolutely. I would tell them to, you know, study it like, like you would study anything else. Um, however, I would never say magic is going to replace an education. I think an education is a hundred percent important. Um, just, you know, is, you know, it molds you to who you are, you know, it makes you an intellectual person. Uh, it gives you social skills. And, you know, if you're set on being, a magician major in things that are going to help you in that career path now i have no regrets what i've done but if i were to go back i would major in things such as business psychology and theater maybe some maybe a double majors maybe some will be minors uh, but i think it's very important and you know ultimately these are going to help help your career and help who you are as a performer and as a businessman. No, that's really, really good advice. That's and uh, advice, uh, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, right. We don't have time to even talk about the artist and the business side of it, because that is, that is again, something that is very challenging for a lot of artists is how to maintain yes. the business from not only a financial point of view, but from a client point of view uh, in so much as how they treat people and, and what they're willing to do and their flexibility and blah, 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 sure. which are all the things again, that you bring to the business. Uh, so thank you for that, because uh, we'd like to see some new uh, fresh talent come up, and uh, we always want to encourage that. And, you know, even if you take up magic as a hobby, there is something to be learned by it. Uh, you know, the presence that is needed to be a magician, as you said, the ability, the wherewithal to approach people that are not expecting you to approach those are those are real life skills that come in handy whatever you're doing. I
So thank you. Uh, we're not going to let you go until we play a little this or that, just a few this or that questions. I'll ask you this or that, and you tell me which one you like. Okay. Very easy, very quick. Are you ready? Yes. All right, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Front seat or back seat? Back seat. Good for you. Copperfield or, <laughs> Copperfield or Burton? Oh, uh, Burton. Okay, Jessica Rabbit or Jessica Simpson? Jessica Rabbit, for sure. Salty or sweet? Salty. More or less? Less. Less is more. Chicken or beef? Chicken. Yes or no? Yes. Good for you. That's what I always say, too. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Derek Ostevani. You are terrific, man. And yeah, we'll absolutely. work with you for as long as you let us. Thank oh, you for coming on the show. Well, that's great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care, Derek. Thank you. Well, that was so much fun. That was such was. a breath of fresh air, right? He's just so flexible and easygoing. You know, he was the very first one to come to me when this all started. He was the very first artist I got an email from saying, I'm doing this. I mean, within two weeks. It was, was incredible. Real commitment to focus that Derek has. And it's just, it's hidden behind this great gregarious personality that just makes you smile and feel at ease and is just so comforting, right? It's, oh, it, very it's much what so. makes him so good, you mm -hmm. know? And, you know, we have, this, we have this deal in our office, I won't talk for lack of a better word, that we, we work with people who are easy to work with and yeah. that we enjoy working with because it's a reflection. We know that if we are working with them in an easy way that our clients are going to experience the same thing. And we have, we've bent over backwards for artists that we've liked giving them opportunities to just show a little bit of flexibility and gregariousness in their performances so that we can continue to work with them because mm -hmm. some of them are so talented. Yes. But, but in our world, it is so important that, that that perception that somebody is warm and friendly, even if they're on stage and 30 feet away from you makes a difference. People feel it. I once worked with a group of ladies and they were fabulously talented. They were all Broadway stars. All of them had had lead star starring roles on Broadway in a show, oh, probably about 15 years ago now. And it was a really well-crafted show. But I, I think I've shared this story with you, Alex. I was in the audience and the, which they were loving it, Broadway stars, but I thought to myself, those ladies up there are really enjoying watching people have watching people watch them. Yes. They're really enjoying that, but they're not connecting at all with anyone in the audience. It yep. was so clear, you know, and it's like, it's almost as though, you know, in the theater, right? We have the fourth wall. I, right. Many people uh -huh. have the fourth wall. You pretend as though the audience isn't there. There's a fourth wall, but in the, event world, in live entertainment, in the concert world, even if it's a public concert, the connection is what's important. And the ability to look past that fourth wall 
and not be afraid to look at the people in the audience and connect with them. It's a willingness to be vulnerable. And it's yes. imperative. It's so important. I had the same experience on a New Year's Eve going and seeing this somebody I really wanted to see, loved her forever. Within 10 minutes of the concert, I checked out because there was no connection. And it was I very much too. that. It's just, I went up here, I want to hear myself talk. I want to hear myself be the diva that I am. But it was, it was like, okay, well, that kind of, it ruined it. Well, you said it earlier. You said that people want to feel special. Uh, and that's the same when you're sitting in an audience. When you are sitting in an audience and you are in front of somebody that you admire, and you're really close to the audience, you're dying to be in the show. You, I mean, you, if, if that star looks down at you and invites you up on stage, you're jumping up there, right? You want so much to be a part of it. You want to feel special. You want that person on stage who you admire to look down at you, even if just for a second to notice that you are there. Right, that you exist, you matter, all of, yeah. That it's not just anybody sitting in the seat right now, it's me. And that's the connection that, that makes it beautiful, that makes it magical, really, right? And even when that fourth wall is there, somebody who truly loves what they do, loves why they're doing it, and loves the people they're doing it for, they can still have that fourth wall, just like we have the screen, but it will cross over that barrier, and you yeah. as the audience will feel it. Yes. It's yes. all about, I, not to sound, you know, mushy and silly but it really is for me it's all about the love it is i mean and that's what at the end of the day it's really what we all want to feel mm -hmm. but it's really also an art that gets lost on so many of us because we don't realize what craft it takes to make that happen and to step outside of your own emotions and your own feelings and your own life uh to you have to set all of that aside for the sake of a performance. And that, as you get older, certainly isn't easy to do, but it's really never easy to do. And I, you, can, you can probably coin the phrase, right? Not coin the phrase, but say the phrase right now. Leave your baggage at the door, That's right? right? Whenever you walked into a rehearsal, like they do not want to know what went on in your world. You are here now, you are present, and you are this person, not that person. And you, you, know, you leave it at the door, and if need be, you can call on it to further what you're doing, but it can't take over. It can't be the story you're telling. It right, can is, aid you in your connection with somebody else. Which is also a skill and uh, an emotional intelligence to be able to deflect what it is that hurts and use it in a way that really does help you, you know, and support your art. In a way, I, artists are like psychologists, right? They're they listening are. and communicating and guiding and helping without sharing their own pain. Right. And in the theater where we've grown up, um, I think it's a little bit easier than it is in the film industry when you don't, your audience is your crew yeah. and your co-stars and you're really on the spot. The, and you're you know, telling everything out of context and out of sequence. And out of sequence, right. And hoping that they 
put it together in such a way that makes sense, right? Because then you lose total control. Yeah, uh, whenever I hear a, anybody say, well, I would have done this differently. Yeah, but you don't know they probably did, but this is the one the editor chose. Right. For whatever reason. <laughs> right. Right. Because right. the editor doesn't care. Right. Oh, I've, I, yeah, there are a million reasons. And, and, <laughs> and in our world, well, we could have done it that way, but this person didn't really want us to do it that way, or the CEO wanted it this way, or, you know, there are always a million uh, voices okay. yeah. having say. That's the other thing um, in this world that we live in. And, and yeah, I realize that there's a hierarchy and everybody sort of has to, you know, uh, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Speak to somebody else. They have to uh, hit somebody else's expectation. You know, they have somebody above them, some supervisor, whether it's a client or the general audience or the studio, there's always somebody that they, you know, want to do a good job for, right? So all of us are, are in the same boat of having this pressure of wanting to do the same job. It's not easy for anyone, mm -hmm. no matter no. where you are. No. And it just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting fact because I think we look at it and we think, oh, it's so glamorous and it's so easy, but it isn't. It is not. Hardly. And this is where somebody like Derek is so great because he walks in with that yes attitude. Whatever his preconceived idea is of how it's going to go, it doesn't matter because you can throw anything at him and he says, okay. And he makes it happen and all with a smile on his face and he puts everybody in the room at ease. And he sure does. And he is a tremendous value to any event, to any kind of experience. And so let's book, let's book Derek. Let's get him yes. out there. Yes. Let's get him out on the events. He, he's terrific. He is definitely worth his weight in gold and uh, we admire him completely. We're done, we're done for this for this podcast. I think we've probably overspoken, uh, but you can find us at bolotta.com. That's B-O-L-L-O-T-T-A.com. A lot of bolotta. And you can also find this podcast wherever you find your podcast. So please look for us. We are bolottafied. B-O-L-L-O-T-T-A-F-I-D-E. One last word, Alex. I say go forth and have a wonderful rest of your week and pivot, pivot, pivot. Pivot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>